A warm and friendly hello, welcome to Lobby Las Vegas. We're Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Eaves, and now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And we've got a great podcast for you today. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by Curtis Rogers. He does a great job over there at 710 ESPN. Covers a little bit of everything and... He is a man that is an Arizona graduate. We are going to be chatting with him about the landscape of the Pac-12. We're also going to be taking a look at some of the Mountain West action that we're going to be getting on Friday and just how to gauge who should be number one right now as there's quite a few contenders. So we're going to be chatting about that in the second segment and then in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we had some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast and We've got one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, letters M, maybe does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Had a couple questions asking if I ever take alternate lines when I have a big differential on a game and things like this. I say no to this, and the first game that we're going to be mentioning in our recap of everything that we wound up seeing on Thursday is going to explain exactly why I don't. So let's dive into that. Try to find some trends from what we wound up seeing on Thursday. Try to get to know these teams a little bit better as well in the process. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Hopefully you wound up betting this one. I won't even call it early, but like before tip because Wisconsin for much of the day, they were a 7-7.5 to point favorite against Nebraska. Wouldn't you know it, they win by 8 as Nebraska winds up having Bryce McGowan's bury a 3 with like 5 seconds remaining in a complete blowout in a game to be able to cover the closing line, which at many places was right around 8.5 to 9. It's also why bet timing can sometimes be very important, but the reason why I don't look at alternative numbers is because, for one, out here in Las Vegas, it's not something that you're able to find very often. That is more of an East Coast thing. A lot of these books like DraftKings, FanDuel, what have you, they offer this a lot more than the books out here in Las Vegas, so I don't dive into that. And plus, you never know when you're going to need those points. Like, I had a differential of 10 on this Wisconsin game. If I would have bet this to, like, 9, 9.5, well, you know, would have been coming away disappointed. 73-65 to 65 was the final, and looking at this game in general, Johnny Davis wound up having zero points through the first 18 or so minutes of the game. Still finished with 13 points, nine boards. I still have my, him as my player of the year, but has been looking a little bit more pedestrian recently as Really, the best player out there on the floor for Wisconsin was Brad Davidson. 21 points, 7 boards, 4 assists. He wanted going 5 of 8 from 3-point range. Chucky Epburn went 3 of 5 from distance. Tyler Walls back. He had 10 rebounds in Nebraska. Well, they better hope that they knock off Rutgers on Saturday when they are at home because that might be their best chance for a Big Ten win this season as they had two offensive rebounds in this game. They turned the ball over 13 times to Wisconsin Sen, and this was actually a rare Wisconsin under. They've been one of the better teams to the over in college basketball this season, which I find to be a little bit surprising. One of your worst cover teams in all of college basketball would actually be the Marshall Thundering Herd. They were about a two to a two and a half point favorite, and once again, they wound up doing a terrific job of disappointing. They wind up losing to Middle Tennessee, who's actually been a really good cover team. This one by a count of 81 to 79, as Marshall made like your buddy at the bar and could not wind up closing out this game, as they were up by five points with about two and a half minutes remaining, and no, they could not get it done. Middle Tennessee, by the way, 
Now 13-3-1 against the spread. Marshall 3-13-2 against the spread. As you know, has that been going well for Marshall from beyond the arc, though? They wound up going 10 of 22 in this game. And you also have a guy in Obiana Onchili Killian, who's been able to give you right around four blocks per game. Had just one in this one, so that was certainly a little bit strange there. What else we've been noticing in college basketball as well is some of these dominant teams, they've been a little bit herky-jerky, and that certainly has been the case for Purdue, but they wound up being able to get the job done on the road against Iowa by kind of 83-73. to 73. This was looking like it was going to be Blowout City, as I believe that Purdue wound up leading this game wire to wire, but Iowa was able to put forth a little bit of a run, but for Purdue, just too much three-point shooting in this game. 13 of 22 from distance. He did wind up having coming in off the bench. Travion Williams give an absolutely amazing performance. 12 points, 10 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals. All in all for Purdue. The 15 turnovers were a little bit unsightly compared to Iowa's 9, but they did a good job of holding down Iowa from the arc. 8 of 27 from 3-point range. Keegan Murray, who didn't play the first time these two teams wanted to play. 14 points and 9 rebounds, which for him is actually relatively pedestrian. You wind up having a very good performance out of UCLA as they wind up being able to take down Cal by count of 81 to 57. For Cal, they allowed UCLA to go 8 of 18 from 3-point range. They themselves wound up going 6 of 21 from the outside, and UCLA did a good job of being able to own the paint as they wound up winning the rebound battle by kind of 33 to 25. The man that really came through for this team in this one, in my opinion, was Peyton Watson. How about 12.6 boards off the bench? But then, past that, you were able to also have Jaime Jaquez and Cody Riley combined for 29 points, and for Cal, just not a lot doing for this team as they also wound up having 17 turnovers in this contest, so that was a little bit less than stellar. What else was a little bit less than stellar was Minnesota, as they were unable to cover at home. 75-64 to was the final in this one for Minnesota. To their credit, they turned the ball over two times in this game, and yet they wound up going 24-55 from the floor, so that tells you how much of a slow and controlled pace it was in this one for Ohio State. They do wind up being able to have a very good performance out of EJ Lagell. 23 points, 15 boards. He wound up having a block in this one for Minnesota, by the way. Jameson Battle was back in this one. They were without one of their main pieces as they have been dealing with a little bit of illness slash injury as being held out of this one. They were without Eric Curry. They will give you 8.7 rebounds per game. But for Ohio State, also wound up having Zed Key chip in their 12 points, 8 boards. So Ohio State continues their winning ways. Speaking of being able to continue their winning ways, that'd be St. Mary's and what I would consider to be the absolute collapse of the night. St. Mary's winds up being able to get a 72-70 win after trailing by 23 points in the first half. San Francisco made it like your buddy at the bar and they could not wind up closing this game out. San Francisco does go 8 of 19 from three-point range. They were able to have a very good performance of 18 points and 13 boards out of Yuhan Muzliski, so he wound up coming through for the scene, but for St. Mary's, they go 13 of 14 at the free line. San Francisco went 8 of 14 at the free line. They went just 3 of 9 from three-point range, St. Mary's did, but how about what you were able to get out of Matthias Taz? 27 points, 12 boards for St. Mary's. They wind up being able to win the rebound battle by a count of 34 to 30, and for St. Mary's, they did a nice job turning the ball over just nine times, so give them all the credit in the world for being able to have that remarkable comeback. 
I know that many of you guys always like to take a look at late game felling as well, and we wound up seeing just a complete and utter calamity out there in the big sky. If you, like me, want riding the under, I feel bad for you. Weber State winds up getting an 85-76 to win over Northern Colorado. This is a game in which it was 56-53 with about 10 minutes remaining, so you had something relatively competitive there. And then this game wound up getting very much out of hand with about three minutes remaining. This was a game in which was 77-62, to so 229 was remaining. It's a 15-point game, and then from there, with about 229 remaining on the clock, you wind up getting 22 points. Good grief. I mean, those are ones where you just can't do anything about it, and you just kept on fouling as you wound up having Weaver State. Oh, by the way, to be able to get this total over, go 11-23 from three-point range in Northern Colorado, went 13-30. of It's pretty much like they had to hit runner-runner for this game to go over, and boy, oh boy, did they. You wound up having 20 turnovers for Northern Colorado in this game, 9 for Weber State, so that's a big reason why they were able to get the win along. Dylan Jones giving you 24-13. and 13. Weber State looking relatively good, but if you, like me, wound up having that, I feel entirely bad for you. You gotta feel entirely bad if you wind up trusting in Loyola Marymount like I did to be able to cover right around like 28 to 29 points. They wind up getting bludgeoned by Gonzaga. It was actually a relatively close game throughout the first half, and then from there, Gonzaga just puts on the Jets. They wind up taking down poor Loyola Marymount as Gonzaga wound up taking like 10 fewer shot attempts than Loyola Marymount, but Loyola Marymount shot about 30% from the floor, so that was a big giant calamity in that one. You wound up having Stanford after they wound up knocking off USC outright the first time around. They wind up doing a good job in this game as well as they are able to get the W over USC. A little bit of a lower scoring game in this one as Sanford wound up draining 9 out of their first 19 threes. So they just continue to be hot there. Really didn't have one marquee score for Sanford. But what they did a nice job of was just being able to hold down USC as they did a good job of being able to have a single-digit amount of turnovers themselves. Meanwhile, USC, through the first 37 minutes, they wound up having 13 turnovers of their own, so give Stanford a lot of credit for being able to get that W. Speaking of being able to get some Ws, some of these teams that had been a little bit cold coming into the game, like Memphis wound up coming into this game, I believe it was 5-12 and 1 against the spread, and they needed East Carolina to miss darn near everything for them to be able to get the cover. I chalked this one up actually as an outlier, 71 to 54, because East Carolina, they go 19 of 72 from the floor, including 6 of 29 from three-point range. Credit a little bit of the defense, but for Memphis, they very nearly choked away this cover going just 17 of 31 on the free line. Won the rebound battle by a count of 53 to 42, but they also lost their turnover battle by a count of 16 to 13. Still certainly not buying into Memphis. They should have probably beaten this Eastern Carolina team by more than 20, but instead it was a little bit closer because there was a complete and utter lack of discipline in this game. Murray State actually got a little bit of a test, by the way, from Tennessee Tech on Thursday as well as Murray State. They get the job done by kind of 80 to 75. They needed 12 of 28 three-point shooting to do so. Tennessee Tech, they went just 4 of 17 from distance. And what kept Murray State from really being able to blow this game open is that Tennessee Tech did an incredible job of just being able to knock down their twos in this game because for Tennessee Tech, they go 4 of 17 from three-point range, but inside the arc, they went 28 out of 32. So, got to give them a lot of credit for being able to get the ball in the paint and being able to provide a little bit of resistance. 
Delaware versus Towson wound up having a game suspended due to, and I air quotes here, unsafe court conditions. This is something that you don't see very often. I think that this should be chalked up as a refund. This was a game in which I think that it was called just after the first half. So if you had a first half bet, I don't know how these wind up getting graded, but I would think that if you had a first half bet, it did wind up actually counting. If you wound up taking the full game, I'm sure that this wound up being a refund regardless of where your book is. If they're carrying this over, I have no idea what they're doing because, well, now you're going to be betting on a completely different game. It was 38-29. Delaware was in the lead at the time, and when this game does wind up getting made up, my guess is you're probably not going to be able to bet on it just from past experience with situations like this, but certainly very intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of that when it comes to college basketball in general and what we're seeing from a trend standpoint. You have seen in the last 30 days quite a few overs as right now the over is sitting at a little bit over a 51% clip, 625 overs, 611 unders, so more around a 50.6, 50.7% clip in this time span. Home underdogs, 225, 210, and 6 against the spread, so they're hitting right around 51.5%. And if you look at the last seven days, home underdogs have actually not had a good run of it, 62, 65, and 2. I do think that that'll be a reversing course, and in the last seven days, unders have been getting a a little bit hotter at 180 unders, 174 overs. I do think that we're going to see more of this and what you're going to be seeing a lot of on this podcast. Great guests, and you know who fits the bill? Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to be chatting with him about the Mountain West as we're going to have some Mountain West games going down on Friday. Who should be number one and the landscape of the Pac-12? That is on the other side right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eubes-Pearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost Cup Soup with myself, Greg Cheers, and now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to be joined by this guest as we've got Curtis Rogers on the podcast. You're able to catch him in a wide variety of ways. His main work is over there with 710 ESPN in the great city of Seattle. But on top of that, he does the Seattle Sports Night and Seattle Sports Saturday podcast. You're able to catch those wherever you find this fine podcast. He also does Seattle Mariners pre- and post-game work over there at 710 
ESPN in Seattle when that is in season as well. He does some scoreboard updates when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks when they're in season. And the man is a wealth of college basketball knowledge as well as he is a graduate of Arizona. As you're able to follow Curtis on Twitter along with Instagram at a kid from Kent all together. And Curtis, it is always a pleasure to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, always look forward to talking with you. And look, I mean, this college basketball season's ramping up. We're already seeing coaches get fired. Chris Mack out of a job now. So the stakes are high, and I'm super excited for what's going to be probably, you know, the last month here once we get past the final week of January, the last month of the regular season. A lot of great races out here on the West Coast shaping up. And interestingly enough, Talking about coaches that wound up getting canned, you're out there in a city in which a coach did get canned in Jim Aford, and yet the Seattle Redhawks started out the season 6-0 out there in the whack. How have they been able to do it? Because I mean, we talk about teams that are under the radar, and Seattle has really been able to do a good job. And I, I thought that they would be a top-five-ish team out there in the whack. I didn't think that they would be overtaking all these teams like Abilene Christian and New Mexico State to this point, though. Yeah, it has been just an incredible job done by Chris Victor, the interim head coach, taking over just weeks before the season started as Jim Hayford resigned in a bit of disgrace. But, boy, you look at what they have done this season, 15-4, and 6-0 and in whack play this season. It, it has been a long road for CLU since they have rejoined the Division One ranks. The goal of that program has always been to make the NCAA tournament, whether you know it be through winning the WAC tournament or getting an at-large bid, this is the best start they've gotten off to since rejoining the Division One ranks, you know, more than a decade ago. Obviously, you've got the Cameron Dollar era, Jim Hayford, uh, but now Chris Victor has has really ratcheted things up this season. I mean, he still has the interim tag, but boy, I think they would be foolish to not give him the job full-time going into next season based off the job that he has done this year. I look at you know what Seattle U has done this season. It is really a testament to the guys that make up that program because you know when you lose your head coach just a couple weeks before the start of the season, I mean, that could throw everything off for a season. And to see them have the kind of season they've had to this point, a tremendous job by them, tip of the cap to what Chris Victor has done. I don't think that Louisville is going to be able to have similar success, especially with them actually making it midseason for Seattle at the very least. They were able to go into it before game number one. But to your point, Chris Victor doing an absolutely amazing job over there as we've seen some coaches out there in the Pac-12 doing some amazingly good and bad jobs as well. We did wind up seeing the Arizona versus UCLA game a few days ago. UCLA was able to get the job done, but when it comes to hierarchy of the Pac-12, I think no doubt you have to have in some sort of order USC, Arizona, and UCLA. I feel like USC has really formed themselves as that number three team, but I think it is really interesting taking a look at these three teams. They are going to be squaring off against one each other against one another over the next few weeks. And I think that you could really see any of these three teams, depending on how they wind up doing it, for lack of a better term, their round robin, being able to rise up to the top of the Pac-12. And I think that all three of these teams play a little bit of a distinct style that makes them so tough to be able to match up against. Yeah, I think when we look at what the seeding is going to be in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, I think you can already sharpie in UCLA, Arizona, and USC for those number one, two, and three spots. The only team I think that could make a run at one of those spots is Oregon, and we saw them slip up against Colorado their first game back after beating USC and UCLA on the road. Kind of how it's been this season for Oregon 
two steps forward, one step back. I do have faith that Oregon can continue to right the ship. I mean, beating USC and UCLA on the road, that's no small task. That's no small feat. I think what the Ducks were able to do there was, you know, an incredible thing. But what USC, Arizona, and UCLA have done so far to start this season, it reminds me a lot of 2016-2017 season when it was Oregon, UCLA, and Arizona atop the Pac-12, and there was just a miles-long chasm between those three teams and the rest of the league. You look at the bottom of the league this year with Utah, Oregon State, Cal, ASU. I mean, those teams, they just have already packed it up. I I don't see how Bobby Hurley survives this, you know, in Tempe, (laughs) especially after the expectations that they had a year ago didn't make the tournament, and now you see where they are now. He's getting suspended for going after referees during games. It just is a disaster there, but... What the Bruins, Wildcats, and Trojans are doing right now, I mean, it is impressive. And and like we saw earlier this week, UCLA beating Arizona, a lot of people still kind of think that Arizona might be the better team. I don't know. UCLA, they're just so deep. They've got a lot of veterans on that roster. And I think that was a big reason as to why they came out on top earlier this week is that the moment wasn't too big for them. This is a team where most of these guys are back from a Final Four squad. They've played in a lot of big games together. Whereas Arizona's got a lot of young players, a lot of new transfers coming in. Tommy Lloyd, this is his first year as a head coach. Maybe the moment was just a little too big for them, but they get UCLA next week in Tucson. So I would expect that one to be a very close one as well. And I think it was a good thing for the Pac-12 uh, in terms of tournament standings, uh, you know, when the NCAA tournament comes around because UCLA with this win against Arizona leaves the door open for them to get a number one seed come selection Sunday if they take care of business the rest of the way. I think Arizona still has a door open for a one seed, which is going to look nice, you know, if they're able to pull that off as well. So all in all, good things at the top of the conference, but very, very bad things right now at the bottom of the Pac-12. I will say as well, for Colorado, they've actually been able to rise up a little bit more themselves. I'll give Ted Boy a little bit of credit for the way that he's been able to overcome some losses that they wound up taking in the offseason because McKinley Wright the fourth was the heart and soul of that team. So them still being towards the middle of the Pac-12, I'll give them a little bit of kudos, but to your point, the middle of the Pac-12 as compared to the rest of it, it certainly has been a little bit grody as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me right here on the podcast. And I think that there was a fair argument coming into the week to perhaps have Arizona at number one. I feel like you could really parse between Arizona, Auburn, and Gonzaga going into what we wound up seeing on Tuesday. We wound up seeing Auburn winding up winning by one point against Missouri. Somehow, Conzo Martin did not call for a foul with a like (laughs) four-second differential between clock and game clock. I have no idea how that winds up happening, but that wound up happening, but... I think when it comes down to it right now, based on what we've seen over this week, Gonzaga has really re-solidified themselves as number one. I don't think that it's like any by any stretch of the imagination, a wide gap between they and teams like Auburn. I will throw in there Arizona. You can throw in there if you want teams like a UCLA. I would even be willing to entertain Kentucky in that fold as well, just with regards to their sheer talent. But I think that Gonzaga once again, has proven themselves that they should be number one in college basketball until further notice. Yeah, I think Gonzaga, top to bottom, is the most complete team in the country this year. And I don't think the gap between them and the rest of college basketball is as big as it was last year, where it was Baylor and Gonzaga pretty much 
wire to wire a year ago. This year, though, I think Auburn is a team that has a ton of talent. Walker Kessler has been just an incredible addition to that team. He has really sort of solidified their front line. Obviously, Arizona, with how exciting of a pace they play right now with with Tommy Lloyd. And then Baylor, they seem to be riding the ship a little bit here after that two-game skid just a couple weeks ago. And look, I mean, they're the defending national champions. They're battle-tested as well. Scott Drew, one of the best coaches in the country. This year, there is going to be probably about an eight or nine team pool to pick from in terms of potential national champions. Look, even Duke, I would put them as a team that could potentially rattle off a bunch of wins in March. Caliban Caro is, you know, one of the most exciting players in the country. I'm not entirely sold on it like Purdue, who has had plenty of opportunities this year to come away with some statement victories. They've fallen short. That loss to Indiana. Assembly Hall was rocking that night, but look, Purdue should win those games as the more talented team. Kind of been a staple of Matt Painter's time with Purdue is that They've had a lot of good teams in the past there, but you know they kind of fall short, Sweet 16, Elite 8, what have you. To me, until they can prove otherwise, I just have a hard time believing in them as these games get bigger and bigger and bigger as we get closer and closer to March. Yeah, it is going to be so intriguing to take a look at things when we do wind up getting a little bit closer to March, and I do think that this is going to be the sort of tournament as well in which the team that winds up winning it, it's all going to be based on the draw now. In typical years, it is a lot based on the draw, but I feel like it's this way more so than ever because typically when it comes to this time of year, you're able to hone in on, I would say, like eight to ten teams that can legitimately make a run, be able to make a final four. But I take a look at these teams that are sort of all got like 10 through 35, and they're all relatively close together. I mean, what do we make out of a team like in Alabama that knocked off Gonzaga this year, but now they've also lost to Missouri and Georgia. I mean, we're talking about Auburn perhaps being the biggest contender to Gonzaga, and Auburn went on the road, and they wound up pulling out a one-point win against a Missouri team that had no idea what they were doing the final 35 seconds of the game. list goes on and on, so the way that I see it in college basketball, things are so wide open because the level of play at the middle is very, very good, and the level of play, I would say, at the top is a little bit down from some of the dominant teams that we've seen in the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at that middle section there, Villanova at 14 right now, or at least 14 entering the week. They were a preseason top five team. The talent is there. Tennessee, one of the better defensive teams in the country at number 18. They're a team I would definitely have my eye on come NCAA tournament time. Rick Barnes, you know, he's a good coach. He'll get you a lot of wins. He may not get you to a national title game or anything like that, but he's a coach that just knows how to win and win a lot. So there are plenty of teams. Teams that are past the top 10, the top 12 or so in the country that are definitely worth keeping an eye on. You mentioned Alabama. They are out of the top 25 right now, but like you said, have that win over Gonzaga that I think will probably be enough to put them in the NCAA tournament just kind of on their own. I don't think they're going to slip up too, too much here in SEC play. Now, the SEC, not exactly the best basketball conference in the, in America, although they're not as bad as the ACC has been this season. I look at Alabama with Nate Oates as their head coach. I think that's a team that if they can get in as maybe a six or a seven seed, they have a very real possibility of knocking off a two seed at some point. I mean, just looking at what they did earlier this year against Gonzaga, not only beating the Zags, but really controlling the game from start to finish. It never really got out of hand for them. 
and it was in Gonzaga's footprint. It was in Seattle, which is not Spokane. It's you know about a five-hour drive away, but there's plenty of Gonzaga fans here in the city of Seattle. So it was essentially a road game for them, but I look at the Crimson Tide right now, and I think they're a team that can definitely make some noise wherever it is that they fall in the bracket simply based off of what we saw them do against Gonzaga. Yep, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of teams that are going to be able to make a ton of noise if they get the right matchup. And if they get the wrong matchup, we could see some teams that we're talking about with high regard wind up going down very, very early, like we wound up seeing a lot of last year in the NCAA tournament as well. As we've got Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast. And Curtis, when it comes to what we're going to be getting in college basketball on Friday, not a ton of action, but with that said, we've got some interesting Mountain West matchups. You've got UNLV, Colorado State, along with Boise State, Fresno State being really the two main headliners that we're going to be seeing. I like what I've seen out of New Mexico as well. They're going to be in action. When it comes to what you've seen out of the Mountain West, what is your real takeaways? Because I know that there have been some bracketologies with as many as four teams coming out of the Mountain West. And I do think that this is a very much improved conference. I just mentioned it with a team like New Mexico, who's towards the bottom half of the conference. They've actually been relatively solid. UNLV, new coaching regime. They've been halfway respectable. And you've had some of these top teams like Boise State, Fresno State, Colorado State, San Diego State, all be able to live up to expectations this year. Yeah, and, and another team that is sort of knocking on the door is Wyoming as well. I th- I've seen a few projections having them as either one of the last four out or as a one seed in the NIT. They're 15-3 and three right now, 4-1 and one in conference play as of this recording. But I would say from Fresno State upward in the standing, Fresno State, San Diego State, Wyoming, Colorado State, Boise State, there's a very real possibility that this could be at least a four-bid conference, which considering where this conference was just a few seasons ago, that is a tremendous step up from where it was. I mean, I look at the Mountain West right now, those five teams are are definitely going to be fighting for those last couple of spots there in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Wyoming didn't really help themselves out with their non-conference slate because it wasn't necessarily the strongest uh, of, of slates, but... Look, they beat every team or most every team that they faced. Uh, you know, they scheduled Arizona. They got blown out by them. But, you know, 15-3 and three to this point in the season is nothing to be down on. I think they have a very real shot at if they can just continue to keep pace with all these teams that are with them in the Mountain West Conference. I think they have a really great shot at potentially sneaking into the NCAA tournament as maybe a first four team or, heck, even, you know, as a 10 seed I don't think they're going to get up to maybe as high as a nine seed or anything like that. But you look at Boise State, though. I mean, the run that they have been on here, winning 13 in a row after that three and four start, kind of wondered, you know, after that three and four start, if they were going to be a team that just, you know, for whatever reason, was not going to really make some noise this season. I mean, you look at that loss to Cal State Bakersfield earlier in the season, only scoring 39 points. Um, but look, this is a Boise State team that's gotten a lot of uh, production from a couple of guys that I know a lot of Arizona fans are familiar with, Emmanuel Acott and Devonair Dutrieve. But then also, you look at what you know somebody like Marcus Shaver Jr. has added, You know, just absolutely going on a couple of tears here this season. So they've gotten a lot of contributions from all, all across their roster 
it's going to be a team definitely worth following here as they continue to roll through the Mountain West Conference. I mean, 7-0 and right now. They do have a couple of tough ones at Fresno State, at Wyoming. The rest of the way, it could be anybody's conference of those five teams atop it. But right now, I mean, Boise State, the run that they have been on, you got to watch out for them. Tyson Dejanhardt has really been able to do some good things for Boise State ever since. They allowed him to get some more minutes. I has been tremendous and you always want to be given more minutes to Curtis Rogers because things are always tremendous on this podcast, but we wind up giving you minutes as well. And you do absolutely terrific work over there with 710 ESPN. I know you're doing a little bit of everything, baseball, football, college basketball, list goes on and on. You cover it all. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just where they're able to get all of your great work on social media and other platforms as well. Yeah, just give me some minutes. I promise I won't put up a Tony Snell-like <laughs> stat line of 24 minutes in it and no Benny stats. Green. Just getting some cardio in, yeah. But you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at a kid from Kent. You can download podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And then you can always catch me here with Greg every couple of weeks or so. Greg, always appreciate you having me on, and I always look forward to our talks here, especially this time of year, as everything just ratchets up in importance. I do as well. It's always terrific when you wind up getting to this time of year in college basketball because though the NCAA tournament is not going on, though the Nets are not going to be cut down, this is where teams build their resumes. This is where teams are really able to find themselves as well. Very important time in Curtis doing a great job of looking at college basketball and really everything else in the sports landscape. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. Coming up next, it is that time podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Friday as we hit some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas. The Ghost Ghost Heaps with myself, Greg Heaps, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Curtis Rogers on the podcast. He does a terrific job over there at 710 ESPN in Seattle. He does a great job covering a little bit of everything and 
always brings it on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaron Scorty1. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits. Those are going to be at the bottom. I had a couple added games, so we do have three games that are involving lesser conferences, so it's going to be a little bit out of time order. You're going to have the Patriot League and the America East games be at the bottom. So we're going to be starting with 873-874 on the bang board. Penn, it's a road face-off against Harvard. The Crimson find themselves anywhere between 2.5 and 3.5 and point favorites in your total on scheme. It is between 143 and 143.5. When it comes to Harvard, I wound up saying them as a 5.5 point favorite. It is a team that has been a little bit up and down this year, but I think that you can very safely say the same thing about Penn. Now, Penn has a very good scorer in Jordan Dingle, who has the ability to be able to take over a game, has been able to get the team right in the neighborhood about 18 points per game. But you take a look at him recently, and he's seen a little bit of a fall-off with his numbers. Had 31 big points in that game against against Yale a couple days ago, but had 11 points or fewer in the previous three games. That is a tad bit of an issue. When it comes to this Penn team, you don't necessarily have a lot behind them as well, as you've got nobody else giving you more than 10 points per game. I do like what I'm seeing out of Clark Sajert, who's been able to give you right around 9.9 points per game, shooting 35% for three, double figures in each of the last five games, but this is also a Penn team that, when it comes to generating turnovers, they're not necessarily great there. They do shoot 72.5% the free throw line, and when it comes to Harvard, this is a team that they themselves have really a big two in no Kirkwood along with Chris Ledlam. They combined to be able to give you about 35 points per game. Ledlam, 9.5 rebounds per game. They combined for four steals with Kirkwood shooting 35.5% from three. Harvard, they shoot 35% from three, 72% at the free line, but they generate nearly nine steals per game, which I think is very good. You've been able to get nice production out of Kale Catchings, 8.5 points per game. He generates 1.4 steals per contest, so he has been very good defensively. Does get into a little bit of foul trouble, but I do think that Harvard, they've just got a little bit more depth when it comes this team. You've got a little bit more team rebounding as well. I do like what you've been able to get as well out of another guard in Lucas Satokic. He has been able to give you 10.5 points per game, shooting 42.5% from distance. Has turned the ball over just twice in the last five games. So I do think that Harvard is set up to be able to get the outright win here and be able to cover the summer. Set this line at 5.5. And, and when it comes to Harvard, this is a team that they rank in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. Penn, they're more of a mid-tempo team, but they're not necessarily efficient on defense. Very efficient on offense. So made this total 145. I'm looking at the over and willing to lay up to five and a half here with the Crimson of Harvard. 875, 876 on the betting board. Wyoming hits the road face off against Air Force. Air Force is finding themselves an 8 to 8.5 point underdog and your total on this game is 129 to 129.5. I love what I've seen out of Wyoming this year, but having to go to Colorado Springs is a relatively tough place to play. I wound up setting this line at 7.5, so I'm willing to take 8 plus here with Air Force. Air Force does have a guy in AJ Walker that seen a little bit of a tip in production in the last few games, has scored 14 points or fewer in each of the last four, but still has been able to give the team 15.5 points per game. He's firing it in at 40% from three point range. A Air Force team that they don't do a great job of being able to hold on to the ball. They rank in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game and they turn the ball over 14.7 times per game but they shoot 37% from three. You've got another guy that's been able to emerge for this team and Ethan Taylor that stuffs a stat sheet 10 points, 6 boards, 4 assists, 1.6 steals per game so I like what he's able to bring to the table so I am willing to take the points in this spot. When it comes to Wyoming, this is not a team that necessarily plays fast but they do a very good job of offensive efficiency 
efficiency, top 40 in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Hunter Maldonado has really been the headliner for this team as a point forward, 18 points, 5.5 rebounds, 6 emphasis, a little bit over a seal per game now. Wyoming, they don't force a lot of turnovers, so that's going to play into the hands of Air Force. They only turn the ball over themselves right around 10.5 times per game. Wyoming, they shoot 37% from three despite their top two scores in Maldonado along with Graham Ike, who gives you 20.5 points right around 9 boards per game, not shooting it from distance. That's why you've got guys like Xavier Ducell along with Drake Jeffries. Jeffries shoots 49% from three of 11 points per game. Ducell more around 11 points per contest. Even someone like a Brock Wenzel is able to give you 5.5 points per game, but I do think that Air Force is going to be able to hang in there in this game. Jake Headbreder has been able to do a nice job. He's been able to chip in there 9 points per contest, and then even guys like Nick Jackson, Joseph Octave, these guys are giving you both right around a combined 12.5 points, 7 boards per game, so been able to get some good contributions from Air Force. Lots of 3 points shooters on the team. Even with late game falling, I think that this game is going to be very slow. Me and my total 129. So here at 129 and a half, I'm going to take an under. And I'm going to take 8 plus here with Wyoming. 877-878 on the betting board. Rhode Island is going to be hitting the road to face off against Dayton. The Flyers are between 6 and 6.5 point favorites in your Toronto's game is between 123 and a half and 124. I want to make a Dayton a 6 point favorite. This is with including Jordan Shepard, his injury being out of the fold for Rhode Island. So I'm going to be looking to take 6 slash 6 half here with Rhode Island, I would rather take six than lay six because Dayton is a team that they turn the ball over right around 14 times per game. They aren't necessarily reliable there. Now, Rhode Island, they themselves, 13.7 turnovers per game. That's not great. They do shoot as collective 34.5% from three. Shepard was given the team 11 points, three assists, shooting 35% from distance, but past that, Ishmael Elamine, he shoots 47% from the outside. He's able to be a primary ball handler. Was that out there in the MAC last season? And then you've got the Mitchell brothers who are able to do an absolutely superb job for this team. Mikkel Mitchell has been able to give you right around three blocks per game. Makai Mitchell is a guy that is able to pop three, so it doesn't necessarily do so great, but these two guys combined to be able to give you 21 points, 12 rebounds per game, so I do like what they're able to do for this team, and then down low, you've also got a guy in Antoine Walker, who's been able to do a nice job for this team. He shoots 44% from distance, 8.5 points, 4.5 boards. He has stepped up recently, and has been able to cut down on the turnovers, a combined 9 of them in the last 5 games, so that is something that is beneficial, and then with Dayton, they should be able to do a good job down low, like what you're able to get out of Deron Holmes, along with Tumani Kamara. These two guys combined to be able to give you 22 points, a little bit over 12 boards per game, and for Holmes, 2.5 blocks per game. Meanwhile, you've got Malachi Smith, who does a great job out there in the backcourt. 10 points, 4 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals per game, but once again, those turnovers, they are very costly for this team. Now, the good news is, Elvis has entered the building. Colby Elvis has been able to give the team 7.5 points on 43% 3-point shooting, and for Dayton, they shoot 70% in the free line, 34% from 3, not great, not terrible, but they don't necessarily force a lot of steals themselves. Rhode Island, I feel like, is a little bit of a better on-ball defensive team, so I do think that Rhode Island going to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort, stay in this game. I do think that we're going to get some late game falling as well. Set this total at a 128, so I'm going to be taking a look at it over. And with Dayton, made them a six-point favorite, so here at six-plus, taking the points with Rhode Island, despite the fact that Shefford is unlikely to play in this game, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 879, 880 on the banking board. Northern Kentucky is going to be playing us to IPFW. Fort Wayne, aka IPFW, is finding themselves two and a half to three-point underdogs in your draws game, say between 136 and 137. Set this line at five with the Norse. They were one of the worst cover teams, as a matter of fact, the worst cover team in all of college basketball this time last week, but they've been able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf. This team has been playing better recently, and a big reason why Marquise Warwick, who wound up having a rough start to the year, has been able to lock in. This guy has been able to give the team 19 plus points in four out of the last five games. Not necessarily much of a facilitator with two assists per game, but 
does give you a little bit over a seal per contest. And then you take a look at Fort Wayne, and this team has been in Fuego recently with regards to their three-point shooting. Now shooting 36.5% from distance, 78.5%. The free line with Jared Godfrey being the headliner for this team. He shoots overall 39% from three in his eight road games, though. He is shooting more around 33% from the outside, so that is a little bit of a concern for this team. 16 points, four assists per game. A guy that has been a little bit up and down recently in the last five games. 9, 25, 7, 15, and 13 points. So he has been herky-jerky with that regard, Ari Kapadia is able to give you six and a half rebounds per game, but you've got Adrian Nelson on the other side for Northern Kentucky. So able to give you a little bit over eight boards per game. Damian Chung Q has been able to give this team some good flow with three assists of 1.9 turnovers per game, but that is a little bit of an issue for Fort Wayne. 13 and a half turnovers per game. Bobby Plantis, who is right around six foot eight, has been able to shoot right around 36.5% from three point range, but past that, Trayvon Faulkner has been able to do a nice job for this North team as well. He's out shooting 38% from three point range. He's been able to pump in their 12 points per game at home. He's shooting 42.5% from three-point range. And Sam Vincent, how about what this gentleman has been able to do at home? He is averaging 12 points, three and a half assists, and is shooting 44% from three-point range overall this season. He's been able to generate 2.2 steals per game as well. Has had double figures in four out of the last five games. Two turnovers or fewer in four out of the last five. It feels like Northern Kentucky is starting to live up to their billing this year. Set this total at a 143. I'm looking over Northern Kentucky. Not necessarily as slow of a team as people would like to believe. Both of these teams have been able to find it with their three-point shooting on Northern Kentucky. The fact that they shoot 66% the free throw line is a little bit of a concern, but I think that they're going to be able to knock down enough outside shots. I think that they're going to be better defensively as well. So I'm willing to lay up to five here with Northern Kentucky and set this total at 143, so going over with that as well. 881, 882 on the betting board. You've got Monmouth playing host to Canisius. Canisius is finding themselves as an 11 and a half point underdog, seeing a couple straight 12s out there as well. Total is anywhere between 139 and a half and 142. So we've got quite a range there, mostly seeing 141 and after 142s, but with that said, with this total, set it at a 146. So I am looking to go over in this spot. And with Monmouth, want to lay up to 12. So looking at an 11.5 here because with Monmouth, this team has been darn near the best cover team in all of college basketball. They wound up having a rough two-game stretch when they wound up coming off of their COVID pause. But past that, this team has been pretty darn rock solid. 15-3 and three against the spread, being headlined by Shavar Reynolds along George Pappas. These two guys have been able to combine for 30.5 points, 9.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists. And you've got Papas shooting 37% per three. But what has really allowed this team to cover is that each other top three scores, Reynolds, Papas, and then you're able to throw in there Walker Miller. They all shoot at least 82.5% the free throw. Miller, 14.5 points, six boards, versatile big man. You've also had Marcus McCleary shooting 38% from three. He's pumping in there 10 points, five rebounds per game. Nikhil Ruti does not do a lot with regards to scoring, but is able to give this team six half boards per game. And then for Canisius, you don't have a single guy giving you more than six boards per game. That'd be Yako Fritz. Now, you do have Malachi Green, who's been able to do a good job for this team with Malik Green. He's been able to give you 12.5 points, five boards, shooting 34.5% from three point range, but he's had three points or fewer in now three of the team's last five games. He has been dealing with nagging injuries since December, and it seems like they have crossed up once again. You take a look at your main point guard in Amandu Fofana. He's been able to give the team three and a half assists, nine points per contest. He's shooting 35% per three. And to his credit, 15 plus points three out of the last four games. One game in which he didn't have 15. He had a big giant goose egg. So that is a little bit of an issue as well. Canisius is a collective. They shoot about 71% of the free line, but just 30.7% from three. They don't generate a lot of seals, which sometimes can be a little bit of a bugaboo here with Monmouth. So I take a look at this spot and I think that you've got yourself a good number here with Monmouth. I'm willing to lay up 
to a 12 with them. And this is a Monmouth team that, despite the fact that they're a mid-tempo team, they're highly efficient on offense. And Canisius, they've been looking to bump up their tempo ranking in the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. Made this total 146 going over and won't lay up to 12 here with Monmouth. 883, 884 on the betting board. St. Peter's is going to be playing us man end. The Jaspers are finding themselves as a 7.5 point underdog in your tallest game. is 134. I feel like St. Peter's should be a favorite, but a little bit surprising that we're seeing this at a 7.5 because I set this line at 5 with St. Peter's. You just can't really trust this team with the backcourt play. You do have Daryl Banks the third, giving you 11.5 points per game. He's able to shoot 37.5% for 3, 92% on the free line, but St. Peter's is a collective. They turn the ball over 14 times per game. They shoot 68.5% at the free line. Now, you do get 8 steals per game, and you got a guy in Casey Udefu down low. So he'll give you 9.5 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 2 blocks per game. So I like what he's able to bring to the table. And then Fusani Drame. So maybe he'll give you 8.7 boards himself. Hassani Drame. I believe that he is a brother of his. 7 points, right around 5 boards. And I will say, the transfer from Portland, Isaiah Dasher, has been able to step up for this team recently, shooting about 35.5% from 3 and a home. This is a guy that's averaging right around 9 points and shooting 50% from distance. But after he wound up having a couple big games, he has sunk recently. He's had a combined 7 points on 3 turnovers in the last 2 games. So that is something that you've got to be taking note of. And for Manhattan, this has been a top 5 team to the overall season long because they've actually upped their free throw shooting. In past years, this is a team that was just absolutely terrible at the line. This year, they're shooting 74% the charity strike because they bring in Jose Perez, who was at Marquette along with Gardner-Webb previously. 18 points, 3.5 boards, 5 assists. Now he does turn the ball for 3 times per game, and Ant Nelson, he turns the ball for 3.5 times per contest as well, but with Nelson, shoots 43% from 3 with 11 points per game. Perez, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to give this offense a little bit more flow. And then you take a look down low for this Manhattan team, and you've got Josh Roberts coupled with Elijah Buchanan, both being able to combine for a little bit over 18 points and 11 rebounds per game, so they do a good job there. Sambadiello does a nice job of being able to clog things up down low. Manhattan, they generate 7.5 seals per game. Now the 15 turnovers, that is a little bit unsightly, but Manhattan has been able to do a much better job of running some efficient offense. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game against St. Peter's. Now, I'm going to go against the overtrend just because you do have a St. Peter's team that they really hang their hat on defense. They've been relatively pedestrian on offense. I think that both of these teams are going to be turning the ball over left and right, so this is sort of 133.5, so I'm going under, but with Manhattan. Made them a five-point dog, so I'm very willing to take 7.5 here with them. 8.85, 8.86 on the betting board. You've got Ryder, and they are going to be playing us a fair field. The Stags are finding themselves as a two-and-a-half point road favorite. Seeing straight one-and-a-half out there as well. Your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 132.5 and a 133, and when it comes to Fairfield, I wound up saying them as a four-point favorite, so very willing to lay the small number here with Ryder. You do have two very good guys for the team and Dwight Murray Jr. along to Mencio Vaughn. Both of these guys give you between 12.5 and 13 points per game. They combine to be able to give you a little bit over 13 boards, 5.5 assists, and 3 seals per game. Neither of these guys necessarily shoot a great from 3. All in all, Ryder, they shoot 31% from distance. Now, to the credit of Ryder, your top 4 scores all shoot at least 71.4% at the free throw line. You've had Mervyn James be able to come on recently. The North Alabama transfer has been able to give the team at least 8 points in each of the last 5 games. Doesn't necessarily turn the ball over a whole lot of line and is able to give you some rebounds. 8 plus in three of the last five games, but you're going to need to get a little bit more out of some of the outside shooting because you still have Argiri Oguamo-Johnson. Does a good job down low, being able to give you six half rebounds per game, but Fairfield, they're going to be able to match up well down low because they've got Supreme Cook, real name. 10 points, 8 boards. He's been able to do a nice job of clogging things up down low. And then you've got Jake Wojcik along with Taj Bennings. 
Both of these guys give you 11.3 points per game. They've been able to combine for right around four and a half assists, and both guys shoot between 35.3 and 37% from three-point range for airfield. As a collective, they shoot 34.5% from three, 71% of the free line. They do a nice job of being able to cut off the three-point arc, and they don't turn the ball over. 11 turnovers per game is his cruise along with Caleb Green. These two guys both give you eight points per contest. Green, right around three assists per game. Got very good depth with this team. Even someone like a Charles Madeau has been able to give you five and a half points, three boards. Does a good job with on-ball defending down low. So I do think the Fairfield is going to be able to get the job done in this spot. Set this total at 134. Riders, a team that they're not afraid to push the tempo. I do think that you get a little bit of late game following with the game being tight as well. This is a Fairfield team that they themselves have been giving up a little bit more scoring recently. At least 66 points given up in four of the last five games. And then you got a Rider team that they've given up at least 67 in four out of their last five. So we'll take the over. And with Fairfield, we'll lay up to four with them. So laying the points. 887, 888 on the betting board. Sienna is going to be playing us to Niagara. Niagara is finding themselves between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog. Seeing a lot of pick'em prices out there as well. Between 127 and 128 is your total. I want to making Sienna a one-and-a-half-point favorite. So we'll take them as a pick'em slash a money line underdog. When it comes to Sienna, it's been a very tough year for them. Andrew Playtech, the transfer from North Carolina, he is done for the campaign. But what I do like for this team, Kobe Rogers, he transferred from Cal Poly, has really been able to come through for this team. Not a guy that's going to facilitate a lot of offense, but he's a 45% three-point shooter that gives this team 14 points per game, and he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Two turnovers or fewer in each of the last four games. Jackson Stormo down low to be able to give you nine and a half points, six and a half boards per game. He's able to chip in there a block per game, and then when it comes to the Sienna team in general, you do have a guy that comes in from Northwestern and Anthony Gaines that just does what is needed out of him. He's been able to give the team a little bit over nine points, 6.1 rebounds, not a great three-point shooter, but chips in there, seal per game. He's able to give you right around two assists, so he's been a good set. He's tougher for this team, giving the team at least seven boards in each out of the last four games, and they will give the team a combined 11 assists in those last three as well. And the Hopkins, I've been waiting for him to emerge a little bit more transfer from Belmont. He's able to give you eight and a half points per game. He's been able to shoot 42% from three, and has been in takeover mode a little bit more recently. Nine plus points in four of the last five games, and to his credit, he's had at least two seals in each of the last five games, I think that that's going to make life difficult for Niagara. Niagara is a team that they play at a bottom 30 pace with the possessions per game. They turn the ball over 12 times per game. With that pace, that's relatively solid. Greg Kukomenza has been able to give you 8 points, 3 boards per game, but who's going to be able to help out Marcus Hammond? 17.5 points, 4.5 boards, 2.5 assists, steal per game, shooting 40% from 3. All in all, Niagara, they shoot 74.1% the free line, 37% from 3, and you've only got one other guy that gives this team more than 9.5 points per game. That'd be Jordan Sintron. Down low has been able to give this team 6 rebounds per game. He and Sam Oreo both have similar numbers down low. Sam has been able to give the team right around 9.5 points per game, but you're going to need to get a little bit more out of someone like a Justin Roberts. Last year, he was able to give the team 7.5 points per game, shot 36.5% from three-point range. He is down to 31.5% this year with under 7 points per game. He's had 5 points or fewer in four of the last five games. So Niagara, I just don't think they're going to be able to get enough offense to be able to get the job done in this spot. I think that Sienna is going to be able to do a good job down low. So my total of 127.5. We're seeing between 127 and 128. I would rather take a 127 over rather than a 128 under because even though you got a pair of very slow teams, I do think that this is going to be a tight game when things wind up getting hairy late. Sometimes you get overtime. Sometimes you get late game fouling. So I'd rather err on the side of the over at 127. But with Sienna, made them one and a half point favorites. So looking to take them as a pick em slash a money line underdog. 889, 890 on the betting board. You got Buffalo and they're going to be playing us to Ohio. Ohio is finding themselves between a three and four point underdog with your total on this game, 149 and a half. This is the DK Nation play of the day and I am going to be going with Ohio in the spot. I personally have Ohio as a point and a half 
favorite. So I myself am going to be taking the money line. Typically, when it comes to these plays, we just wind up giving out the spread. So you're most likely going to be seeing me on Ohio somewhere in the range of like plus three. If it winds up getting up a little bit more slash less, that number is going to vary a little bit. But I am on Ohio with the DK Nation pick. I wound up saying this at 152 and a half. You've got a Buffalo team that ranks in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. Ohio is more of a mid-tempo team, but they're a team that they're certainly able to put up points in a hurry. And I do think that Ohio is going to be able to win the battle down low. So I'm going to be taking a look at them as a money line underdog. Jason Carter along with Ben Vanderplas have been able to do a terrific job for this team. They are able to combine for 27 points, 13 and a half rebounds, just under four and a half assists per game, three steals. And then you've got Vanderplas shooting 35% for three now. Ohio, they only shoot 32.8% from three, but they shoot 76% at the free line with Mark Sears doing a great job at the point guard spot. 19 and a half points, five boards, 3.7 assists, two steals, still turn the ball over three times per game, but he has filled in that Jason Preston role very well. Ben Roderick is able to give you seven and a half points per game and then for Buffalo, you do have back in the full Josh Mbala who's been able to give you 13 and a half points, eight and a half boards, and it's a Buffalo team that they themselves shoot right around 33% from three, but I do think that them shooting just 70% at the line compared to Ohio shooting more like 76% is going to be a little bit of a factor in this game. I do like what you're able to get on the transfer. Maceo Jack shoots just 29% from three, but is able to give the team nine and a half points per game. Buffalo, they generate seven seals per game, but I do feel like Ohio just a little bit more stout on the defensive end. You've got a couple more options that you're able to look at. That's why they get right around eight seals per game. And Miles Brown has been someone that has been standing out to me recently as well. He's been able to give the team some facilitation about a steal per game in the last five as well. So he's been able to do a good job on defense. I think that he's going to be an X factor. Is also a native of the state of New York. So you know that he's going to want to ball out here. So at this total 152 and a half, I think that Buffalo gets their pace. And I think that both of these teams are going to be on point with their offense. Take a look at the over, but I do think that Ohio has enough down low to be able to win this game outright. And this is the DK Nation pick. I'm personally going to be taking a look at the money line when it comes to Ohio. Officially on there, it is going to be the spread, but either way, going to be on Ohio to go along with the over. 891, 892 on the betting board. Akron hits the road to face off against Toledo. Toledo. And we're between a 7.5 and a 9.5 point favorite. So, you've got a wide range here, and your total is between 140 and 140.5. When it comes to Akron, set them as a 7.5 point underdog, so I'm going to be certainly willing to take a plus here when it comes to Akron, which is mostly what I am seeing at this point. Seeing the nines pop up, it makes me excited about this one with Toledo. I do think that they're the best team out there in the back right now because you take a look at Ryan Rollins and he has been tremendous. 20 points, 6 boards, 3 and a half assists. Shoots about 35% from 3-point range. The run that he has been on is absolutely amazing. At least 16 points in each out of the last 5 games. 22 plus points in 4 of the last 5. At least 6 boards in every one of these games. At least 5 assists in each out of the last 4. And he's done this all while committing 3 turnovers or fewer in 5 out of his last six games. Then you've got JT Shulmay along with Cedric Miller Jr. Both of these guys are right around six foot six. They combined to be able to give you 29.5 points, 12.3 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and you've got Shoemate shooting 49% from three. Toledo's hole, 78.7% free line, 36.5% from three, but you take a look at Akron and got a guy that I like in Ali Ali. How about him giving you 14 points, 2.5 assists, shooting 44.5% from three-point range as a versatile six foot eight big man. Xavier Casaneda has been a good sharpshooter as well, bearing 39% of his threes. Overall, Akron, they shoot 35% from distance out. They only shoot 66.8% the free throw line, but Enrique Freeman is going to be the best low post presence in this game, in my opinion. 12 points, right around 11 boards per game. Akron has done a good job of being able to throttle down games all season long. They rank in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. Toledo, they're a mid-tempo team. They're not fast, they're not slow, they're just really efficient. Did wind up setting the total at 141.5 because I do think that Akron holds in there to 
to the point in which they are able to force some late game falling in Toledo. They are very good at the free throw line, and both of these teams have been able to knock down more shots recently, so I do err on the side of the over, but I take a look at the way that Akron has been able to get things going down low. The Trimble brothers have been able to combine for about 20 points per game, and that should allow them to be able to hold that bay against a Toledo team that they themselves are very solid, but they don't necessarily have a ton of depth. Our Ray J. Dennis has been able to give this team right around 12 points, 6 boards per game, shooting 38% from 3, but once you get outside their main 5, this is not a Toledo team that's able to provide much else, so I'm going to take the points here with Akron, set them as a 7.5 point dog, and made this total 140.5, so looking at the over 893, 894 on the betting board, Quid is going to be playing us a Maris. Maris has found themselves in between a pick to a 1 point underdog in your total on this game. It's anywhere between 137 and 138 when it comes to Maris. Set them as a 2 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line when it comes to Maris. This has been a little bit of a disjointed team in that they only get like 9 assists per game as a collective. I think that there might be a player when it's all said and done that has more assists per game than Maris as a team, but Maris does shoot about 33% from three with their two main guys and Ricardo Wright along J.O. Atuka being able to headline things. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you 28.7 points. Both guys shoot at least 40% from three-point range. And you've got a Maris team that they've been able to generate right around six steals per game. I like what I've seen out of Raheem Sullivan. A steal and a half, nine and a half points per game. He's shooting 36% from three-point range. Has been relegated a little bit more to a facilitation role, but nine assists at two turnovers in the last three games. So he's been very much a pass-first guy recently that has paid off for them. Now, you've only got one guy that's able to give you more than four and a half rebounds per game. That would be Matt Hermesy. But then you take a look at the flip side for Quinnipiac. you got one great rebounder. That would be Kevin Marfo. 9.9 points, 10 and a half boards, and to his credit, he gives you four assists per game. But Savion Lewis, their main point guard, has been out of the fold for the last nine games. It's caused things to be a little bit rudderless for this team. Jacob Bergoni, nine points per game. He's able to shoot 34 and a half percent from three. And to his credit, 95% of the free throw line. Quinnipiac is a collective. They shoot 76% at the charity stripe, 33% from three, but also 13 and a half turnovers per game. And then once you get outside of Marfo, you don't have a single guy that's giving you more than 4.2 rebounds per game that is going to be taking the floor in this one. Matt Blanich has been able to do a nice job. 4.2 boards, 14.5 points, shoots 38% from three, but ever since coming off of injury, hasn't necessarily been himself. He's a guy that has shot 33% from three or less in each out of the last five games, so the efficiency of Quinnipiac has not been there recently, and I do think that Maris, with having so many good individual pieces, having a defense that is very hard to prepare for, is going to mess with Quinnipiac a little bit in this spot. I wound up saying this sold at 132 as a result. Got a pair of teams that they're not necessarily playing up-tempo on a Maris team that they actually do a good job of being able to play solid man-to-man defense. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with Maris, made them the two-point favorite. So we'll take them as a money line underdog. 895-896 on the betting board. San Jose State. It's a road face-off against New Mexico. New Mexico is finding themselves a 9.5 point favorite with your total between 147 and 147.5. It's a total on which I wound up setting at a 146.5. San Jose State has been playing at a little bit more of a controlled tempo. Meanwhile, a New Mexico team that is playing with their hair on fire, but in this spot, I've been backing New Mexico a lot. Could only make them 8.5, because with San Jose State, this is a bunch that they do a great job of being able to bury some threes. They shoot as a collective 37% from the outside. Now, 12.5 turnovers game with Omari Moore, your main scorer, committing 3.5 of them. That is a little bit of an issue, both Moore. He shoots 47% from 3, 4.5 assists, gives you a block and a seal per game, 5.5 rebounds, 15 plus points. So far of the last 5 games, he's committed 3 turnovers or fewer in 3 of the last 4 games, so he's reining it in a little bit more to Beck Groner. 
who winds coming in from Arizona. He shoots 39% from three. He's a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player. And then you've got Trey Anderson giving you 10 points, 5.2 boards. He shoots 47.5% from three point range. Has been able to give the team a combined 32 points in the last three games that he's played in. So I do like what I'm seeing there. And then for New Mexico, you are still going to be without Jethro Muscade, and he wound up going through that very bad car accident. So you wish him nothing but the best. KJ Jenkins has been able to step up a little bit more for this team. He's been able to give the team 15 plus points in three of the team's last five games, shooting 37.5% from three. Doesn't necessarily do a great job on the glass, though, and that's going to be a big issue for this New Mexico team. With Moose Gaiden now out, you don't have a single guy giving you more than 4.8 rebounds per game. Now, I will say Jay Allen Tovar has come into the program, and he's been able to do a good job recently on the glass. He combined 13 boards and 35 points in the last two contests. Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen Ellis, they're able to completely take over games. They have been able to give you a combined 34 points per game, and these two guys, they combined to be able to give you 2.7 steals per game. They've been able to give you right around six boards per game as well, so they've been able to do a nice job there, but it's a little bit of a thin rotation as well. And then you take a look at San Jose State, and you do have a couple guys down the board, like a Sean Robinson, who's been able to give you right around eight points, five boards per game. That should be able to keep this team at bay. When it comes to New Mexico, I wound up setting them as an eight and a half point favorite, so you're at nine plus. Taking the points from San Jose State, made this little 146.5 as well. I think that things are going to be a little bit more reined in, so taking a look at the under along with the points. 897, 898 on the betting board. Colorado State is going to be playing against the UNLV. UNLV is finding themselves in between 11 and 12 point underdogs, and your total is between 140 and a half and 141 and a half when it comes to UNLV. Set them as a 10 and a half point dog, so getting 11 plus here, I'm willing to take the points with UNLV. UNLV does have a guy in Bryce Hamilton that, though he's not necessarily the world's most efficient score, has been able to give this team nearly 20 points and 4.3 rebounds per game, has been able to go off for 23 plus in four of the last five games, and has done so with three turnovers in the last four games. Now, David Roddy, he's able to get rowdy for Colorado State. How about him shooting 46% from three, 18 and a half points, eight boards, three assists per game. He has been able to give this team 14 plus in four of the last five games, at least six boards in each of the last five games as well. So has been able to do a nice job there. This is a Colorado State team that actually ranks outside of the top 225 with regards possessions per game. You wouldn't know it by the fact that they score about 78 and a half points per game because they're just so efficient with their offense. They shoot 38% from three, 79.7% at the free throw line. Among their top eight scores. All of them shoot at least 77% at the charity stripe, so that is absolutely incredible. John Tonjay has been able to give you 10.5 points per game. He shoots 48% from three-point range. Isaiah Stevens has been able to shoot about 36% from distance, 15 points, five assists, 1.3 steals per game, so he's been able to do a nice job there, and then you take a look at UNLV, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold up down low. Roy Sam has been able to go ham for this team. Ten boards, not necessarily a great score, with just 8.5 points per game, and then Michael Nuga, you just have no idea what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Gives you right around seven points per game, but that's pretty much 14 points one night and then zero the next. So it's been interesting to take a look at him. But the one guy that I think is going to be able to keep this team at bay, Donovan Williams, 14 points per game. Guy that's shooting 43% from three-point range, 15 plus points in four of the last five games. I like the run that he was on. He wound up having a little bit of a tough go of it against San Diego State. I think that he's going to be able to get up off the mat in this game. I like this UNLV team to be able to hang in this game, set this line at 10.5. So won't take 11.5 to 12 here with UNLV. Set this total at 143 as as well because you do have a pair of teams that they play relatively slow but Colorado State they just find a way to put the ball in the basket and the defense has been a little bit more leaky as well so taking a look at the over and I'm taking a look at the points with the UNLV 899 900 on the betting board Wright State hopes to be the right side as they play also Cleveland State Cleveland State between a one and two point underdog with your total between 149 and 150 when it comes to Cleveland State I want to saying them as a three point favorite so I think that the wrong team is favored I'm taking Cleveland State on the money line now 
when it comes to Wright State, things were cataclysmically bad at the beginning of the season. You could tell that they were trying to adapt to Loudon Love, and to their credit, they've been looking a little bit better recently. Tanner Olden, he's holding it down. 20.5 points, 6.5 boards, 3 assists, 1.3 steals per game, shooting 39% from 3. He's going to be the best player out there on the floor. Overall, this is a Wright State team that they shoot 77% at the free line, just 31% from 3. Grant Bazile, he's able to give you 9 boards, 17.5 points per game, but he's only been able to shoot 23-ish percent from the outside. You don't have a lot of depth with this team as well. A.J. Braun has been missing for much of the campaign. He's been able to come back, but he hasn't necessarily looked like himself. He has given the team 7 points or fewer in 4 of the last 5 games. And you take a look at Cleveland State, and you're not going to have someone quite like Holden, but you take a look at Demoya Hodge, and this guy has been absolutely magnificent for this team. Shooting overall 34.5% from 3, but on the road, he's averaging 38% 3-point shooting with 21 points. He's been able to generate 2.2 steals per game. Guy is giving you 16 plus points in 4 out of the last 5 games. Then you take a look at the team passed that, and Troy Penn has been able to do a nice job of being able to pen his stats. 13 points, 7 boards, 4 assists. Not a guy that necessarily shoots a great from 3-point range, but does a great job with his stat sheet stuffing. Now, the one trepidation you have with him is that he's had 4-plus turnovers in 4 of the last 5 games. That is an issue for Cleveland State, but Wright State, they only generate 5.7 steals per game despite being a little bit more of an up-tempo team. Meanwhile, Cleveland State, 8 steals per game. They only shoot 65% the free line. Another issue when it comes to the team, but when it comes to Wright State, their lack of 3-point shooting does cancel that out a little bit. You've got someone like a Bronk Fiston who's been able to give you right around 7.5 points, 4 boards per game. I like what he's able to bring to the table. Trago Million has been going for it from 3-point range, 35% from distance, 10 points, 5 rebounds per game, and when you take a look at the first time these two teams wound up meeting up, Cleveland State was able to get an 85-75 to win. I think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up here. Set this total at a 148 just because I think both teams are going to be a little bit shaky from the outside, so I am taking a look at the under. Also, Wright State has been throttling down their tempo a little bit and when it comes to this Cleveland State team I think that they're going to be able to get another win over Wright State set the men's a three-point favorite so taking Cleveland State on the money line along with the under this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games 901-902 Boise State it's the road face off against Fresno State Fresno State finds themselves anywhere between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog and your total on this game it is between 116 and a half and 117 and a half now you got two teams in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. I think we've went a little bit too far here. I wind up setting my total out of 122 because I do think that it's going to be close, and I do think that you do wind up getting late game following, but with Fresno State, set them as a three-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to uh, either lay one or take them as a money line underdog. First time these two teams wound up playing, it was 65-55 to 55 with the game really dying a little bit late, so I do think that this total is a tad bit low. That total was 119, by the way. Fresno State lost that game 65-55, to 50. But when it comes to Boise State, got your trepidations in a close game with regards to their free throw shooting. 60.3% of the line. I'm surprised that it hasn't popped up more for Boise State at this point. You do have Abu Kiab along with Marcus Shaver Jr. These two guys combined to be able to give you 26 points per game. Kiab, 6.5 rebounds. They combined to be able to give you 4 assists and 2 steals per game. But this is a Boise State team that their fortunes really turned when Tyson Dejanard was able to go off. He wound up having a big burner run and he's back to his normal self. 14 plus points in 3 of the last 4 games. He's also had a Combined seven turnovers in the last two games as well. That is a little bit of an issue. Emmanuel Acott has been able to give you right around 12 points per game. He's shooting 39% from three-point range to his credit, but then you take a look at Fresno State, and I think that they've got the most unstoppable force in this game. Orlando Robinson, 19 points, eight and a half boards, three assists, one and a half blocks, while shooting 35% from three as a seven-footer. And then you've got Anthony Holland. He shoots 47% from the outside, 9.7 points, six boards, 1.2 seals per game. All in all, Fresno State, they generate right around six and a half seals per game. Each other top three scores are able to give you at least a steal per game, so that 
that is very beneficial for this team. You're going to need a little bit more out of guys like Jordan Campbell and Deion Stroud. Both of these guys in the backcourt average between 6.5 and 7.5 points per game. You've been able to get a little bit more recently as well out of Leo Calmario. He has been able to give you just 5 points per game, but also chipping in there 4.5 boards per game. Has been able to do a nice job down low for this team. Has also been able to give the team a steal per game in the last 4. So his on-ball defending has been very beneficial. But I do think the Fresno State is going to be able to win from within with having Orlando Robinson. I think that that's going to be key. And I think that Fresno State gets revenge on the loss that they wanted taken about a month ago. Set Fresno State as a three-point favorite. Well, they'll either lay a point or take them as a money line underdog. And when the total, I think it should be low. I think we've gone a little bit too far here. Set the total at 122. So taking a look at the over to go along with Fresno State. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. Just three on this Friday as we begin with 306-213, 306-214. Faves off against Boston U. Boston U finds themselves between a one and one and a half point underdog. Total on this game is saying between 136 and half and 137 and a three point favorite. Boston U has been flailing a little bit now. I do like what you're able to get down low out of Sukhmail Mathani. He's going to be the best low post player in this game, averaging currently a double double with 15 points, 10.2 rebounds per game. And you do have a good three point shooter, Javante McCoy, headlining things for Boston U, shooting 47.5% from the outside, 16.5 points per game. And in home games, he's shooting 55% from three point range. So give him a lot of credit has been able to pump in there 13 plus points in three of the last five games, but that's him. Walter White has been a little bit shaky. He is giving the team right around 13 points, six half rebounds per game, but it feels like there's been a lack of consistency there. You haven't been able to get a lot off the bench either. You have a guy in Ethan Britton Watts, who last year shot 47% from three, shooting 27% from three this year, five points or fewer for the last five games. And then for Colgate, Nelly Cummings is a Cummings along. He's been able to give the team 16 and a half points, three and a half assists, zero half per game, shooting 42% from three point range. You take a look at his last five games, double figures in every one of them. He's a guy that has been turning the ball over a little bit more recently, but Colgate as a whole, they turn the ball over just 11 and a half times per game. They don't necessarily play at a frenetic pace, but they're in the top 50 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis with Oliver Lynch Daniels shooting 49% from three-point range for the team. Jack Ferguson is able to give you 12 points per contest. He's able to shoot about 37% from the outside as well. And then down low, Keegan Records is able to give you right in the neighborhood about six boards, nine points per game. And then on top of that, you also have Tucker Richardson along with Ryan Moffat. These two guys combined to be able to give 20 and a half points, 11 boards, two and a half steals per game, and Moffitt shoots 40% from three. So many weapons for Colgate. You've got a Boston U team that they have been fading into the abyss a little bit more. They've won three straight games, but those came against Lafayette, Lehigh, and Loyola, Maryland. Prior to that, they had lost three out of their last five, and Colgate, I feel like, is in better recent form with Cummings coming off of his injury. Set the total at 135 and a half with Colgate being outside the top two hour with regards to possessions for game. Boston U being in the bottom 50 with that regard. So taking a look at the under and make Colgate a three point favorite. So we'll lay it here. 306 to 15, 306-216. New Hampshire is going to be playing us as Stony Brook. The Seawolves find themselves a two to two and a half point underdog. Your totals between 139 and a half and 140. New Hampshire is a bottom 10 team with regards to tempo and all of college basketball. So I made this total 131 and a half. And when it comes to what you're able to get out of New Hampshire, I think that they should be able to cover this number. Willing to lay either two slash two and a half. I made my line two and a half, but at two and a half, I would rather lay it before I'd be willing to take it just because New Hampshire, they do such a good job of being able to lock down on defense. Now with Stony Brook, you do have Elijah Ola knee back in the fold two years ago while he was at Stony Brook. This guy just absolutely terrorized the AEC. He was able to bump in their 18.6 half boards with two assists per game. He hasn't been the same this season. He has scored 12 points or fewer in four of the last five games that he's played in. He's dealing with injury once again, so that is a bit more of an issue, so he might wind up missing this game as well. Now, you do have Takai Green down low. Eight boards, 11 points per game, shooting 37% from three. Jaleel Jenkins shoots 39% from the outside. Fairly Dickinson transfer, 14 points, two steals. So, despite the fact that Sony Brook has been without 
without Elijah Olenee for pretty much two-thirds of the season. They've been able to hold down the fort, but now you have to go up against a guy in Jaden Martinez who just does it all for New Hampshire. How about 14.5 points, 6 boards, shoots 42% from 3-point range. There's just nobody tall enough for Sony Brook to match up with six foot eleven Taylor Matos either. Gives you just 5 points, but 6.8 rebounds per game. Guy is absolutely terrorizing teams down low. Plays limited minutes, but still is able to do a good job for this team. You got Sloan Seymour, who he began his career, I believe, at Siena, and this is a guy that literally I still remember. He stands six foot nine and wound up in thirty or so minutes per game, giving the team like a half a rebound per game. I mean, that is just absolutely insane right there to be that tall and get that few rebounds. I mean, it's almost a skill, but you've got Nick Kudorama to be able to make up with that. Thirteen points, four and a half boards. He shoots in the low thirties from three point range, and then you've got Blondi Chonkogo, who's been able to give you eleven and a half points per game. He's been able to shoot forty one percent from three. Marco Foster, eight points per game. He's shooting forty eight percent from the outside, 14 plus points in three out of the last four games. So he's been able to do an absolutely terrific job of being able to step up in the backcourt for this New Hampshire team. New Hampshire has done a good job of being able to get their tempo in darn near all these games. So I do think that they're going to be able to do so once again. Sony Brook, a little bit banged up, not necessarily as great on the glass either. So one lay up to two and a half here with New Hampshire. Set the total 131 and a half. So diving under along with New Hampshire. And we wrap things up with 306 217, 306 218. Holy Cross is going to be playing us a Lehigh. Lehigh is a four point favorite with your total on game 140. Made Lehigh three and a half, so I'm going to be willing to take four with Holy Cross. Now, it's a roll of the dice because Holy Cross has been wholly awful against the spread at four and 12, but with Lehigh, you do have some deficiencies when it comes to the team. Evan Taylor has been able to do a nice job of being able to pack the stat sheet. 14.3 points, six boards, shoots 42% from three. All in all, Lehigh, they shoot 36.5% from three, but they turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game. They generate just four and a half steals per game as well. And then with Holy Cross, you should be able to have Jarrell Gates be able to own the paint. 15 and a half points, eight and a half boards per game. You've got Kyle Luch, who's been able to shoot 38% from the outside, 11 and a half points per game. You don't necessarily have one main facilitator for Holy Cross. As a matter of fact, nobody gives you more than two in assists per game, but Judson Martindale is able to give you 10 points, four boards per contest. You've also got a good three-point shooter in Dejon Humphrey, who's been able to step up for this team. Right around seven points per contest, shooting 37% from the outside. Was limited in that game against Bucknell. You can tell in the last game against American. He was just coming off of injury. Should be back to full force in this game as well. Holy Cross shoots about 34% from the outside. They turn the ball over about 13 and a half times per game, but they do force right around seven seals per game. I think that they're going to be able to do a halfway decent job down low because you have been able to get Lutham Colby to be able to give you right around five rebounds per game. He has been able to step up a little bit more recently, at least four boards in four out of the last five games. So I do think that Holy Cross is going to be able to hold in there against a Lehigh team that they don't necessarily have a lot down low. Taylor is right now the team's top rebounder. You do have the Wilson brothers and Marcus and Jamero Wilson who have been able to combine for 20 points per game. Jamero is able to give you five boards, two assists per game. He shoots 43% per three. Now, you do also have Nick Lynch shooting 44% from the outside, but it's not like this guy is taking a whole bunch of threes. He's averaging right around one and a half three-point attempts per game, so it's not like he's doing a lot there. And then you've got Dominic Perlin, who has really been seeing a dip in his production. This is a guy that has seen fewer than 10 minutes in now three of the team's last five games and combined eight points in the last five games after he was a main low post presence for this team. So I'm willing to take the points here with Holy Cross. Holy Cross, a bottom one on our team with regards to possessions per game. Lehigh, not a blazer either. Said this total at 137, so taking a look at the under as well. And that wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers. 
Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren Scorty1. Keep in mind, letters M. they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thanks so much for tuning in.